So we are back in our study of the Gospel of Luke and we're up to chapter 6 and the last section of chapter 6. On the, um, on the billing, this is called Trees and Houses. I've taken the liberty of changing it to Fruit and Foundations because um, it sounds a bit better. <laughs> um, I was all getting confused about tree houses, but um, it really is about fruit and foundation. That's the key things out of the um, passage that we have before us. And I have a, a subtitle, which is The Lordship of Christ and My Spiritual Integrity, because that really is uh, what the Lord was uh, teaching his disciples about. Let's uh, take a reading and we'll read a couple of earlier verses too for the sake of getting a, a context. So we'll go to Luke 6 and verse 17 and we'll read 17 to 20 and then 43 to 49 and then we have a, a reference in First Peter as well. So Luke chapter 6 verse 17. Uh, he, that's the Lord Jesus, went down with them, that's his disciples, and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, and then we'll go to verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stood up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. <coughs> Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And then we'll take one verse from 1 Peter chapter 3. It's um, actually more like one sentence, taking out of context, but um, I'll leave it with you to explore the context, uh, and I think you'll agree that it's appropriate for us to take this sentence and apply it to our study in Luke. It's First Peter 3, verse 15, which simply says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. So what I have for us today, if the screen, I apologise for the flickering, hopefully it will stay with us. What I have for us is some key messages and we'll go through each one and I'll support the key message from our reading. And the first one 
is the Lord Jesus had an agenda. Uh, that is, things people needed to hear, understand and apply. On this occasion, it was to speak to his disciples about the discipleship. Uh, a few weeks ago, I missed last week's, and I don't know whether it was recorded, I knew I had another chance to catch up with it, but a couple of weeks ago, when David introduced this part of our study, he mentioned that it was um, a crowd that met, uh, a large crowd of disciples, and um, also additional people who were coming, and maybe from a radius of around 120 miles. And we were reflecting uh, with David how substantial this trip was for a crowd of people to come. And it was all by word of mouth. So the Lord had a real magnetism about him. And why not? Because amazing things were happening. So we read in our first reading how that um, people were being cured and uh, of diseases and even wanting to touch him because there was an evident power um, that was able to heal them. But people were also coming and you have the impression it was to hear what he said. And there are several occasions where uh, the people, the crowds who heard Jesus were astounded by the authority with which he spoke. So I would say that there are two dynamics, maybe three, in this crowd. You have people who are desperate because they have an illness and they want to experience his power for curing. There are people who are um, curious and intrigued about who this man is because of the authority by which he spoke. And then there are the people who are his disciples, described as his disciples, which I would put it to as are a lot more than just the 12 um, who would be his apostles. Is that really irritating? Um, I'm not sure we can do anything about it. But, um, just, I don't actually know. I forgot to bring that with me. So just um, bear with it. For the short time that it's up there, it probably is beneficial to see what's written down. So that's the context in which we're, that's the audience which the Lord Jesus is addressing. And we call this the Sermon on the Plain as opposed to the Sermon on the Mount, just to demonstrate that it's, uh, it's distinctive from the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes um, passage in Matthew, um, because it, it's actually described as quite a different place, um, albeit some of the messages that the Lord had were similar. The point here, though, is that the Lord had an audience and he had an agenda that was appropriate to his audience. And I'd like to put it to us that the audience was primarily his disciples and disciples in the loosest sense of the word. So these are people who perhaps were more tagging along out of curiosity. They recognised there was something special about this man but there was no kind of intimacy. I kind of put, put, put that to you as a suggestion. Um, and the rest were onlookers, people who were in earshot and listening. Uh, and of course, the Lord was speaking to both groups. But I would say his agenda was very much his disciples. So that makes us, our ears prick up because anyone who would be a disciple of the Lord the Lord Jesus Christ 
then he has a message for us. Why do I think it was for his disciples? Well, verse 20 says something very direct. Before he launched into uh, his sermon, uh, it says, um, looking at his disciples. So kind of have a, uh, an impression of a, a big field and you've got crowds of people and there's a bit of buzzing going on. And then more closer to him, there is uh, a crowd which are specifically his disciples in this broader sense. And he looks at them. Um, and what he says next is addressing that specific crowd. Um, the other thing comes from verse 46, which is going to be core to our um, message today. He says to the crowd he's addressing, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I'm saying? And we'll explore that a little further. But um, I think anyone who dares describe Jesus as Lord in the context that we're talking about is certainly a would-be uh, disciple of his. So with those two things in mind, what I'm saying is that what we're exploring together is targeted at disciples or would-be disciples of the Lord Jesus. And he's talking to them in these two passages about fruit and foundations. He's talking to disciples about their discipleship. So there's uh, a couple of things that um, I'd like us to link together. In fact, the two passages flow into each other. We heard him, um, we read of, as to how he used an illustration of good fruit and bad fruits, good trees and bad, bad trees. And then we have the passage from 43 onwards, which is, um, sorry, 46 onwards, which is about um, wise men building houses on good foundations. Uh, I'd like us to consider that fruit is the outcome of a disciple's way of life. And foundation, although unseen, is the basis of true faith and spiritual integrity. The nature of the foundation of a disciple's life will determine the nature of, their of um, the fruit of their lives. So fruit uh, is what's seen kind of very evident and a foundation and we're kind of mixed metaphors here because we've got a tree bearing fruit and we've got a building with a foundation or without a foundation um, but clearly fruit is seen it's obvious and the foundation probably for the most part is unseen but nevertheless is important and I'm, what I'm going to do is deal with the foundation first because it just even though that's not the order they, they come in it appeals to me that if we can understand the Lord's teaching on foundations, um, that will help us um, to understand the consequence of building on a right foundation, um, which is the kind of fruit that the Lord Jesus expects from us. So to point three. Um, Jesus Christ is Lord, but his Lordship will only find expression in disciples' lives through obedience. And that obedience isn't legalistically following his instructions, but it's a desire from the heart to please him in every way, motivated by love. I've often struggled with this expression, um, why do you call me Lord, Lord? It, it's mentioned a few times, and I struggle with the English. You know, people, were they calling him Lord, Lord? Using the expression twice? 
Um, is it repeated to somehow emphasize a point? Um, and I, I'm not sure I've got an adequate explanation, but what appeals to me is that there are two senses in which Jesus Christ is Lord. And we have up there in our key message, which is actually a quotation from Acts chapter 10. And it says, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And really important point is that is a fact. And it's irrevocable, it's unshakable. It's not uh, in any way dependent on what I think or what you think or what I do or what you do. The fact is, he is the sovereign creator of the universe, the eternal son of God, equal um, with God. He is part of the Trinity, the triune Godhead. And whether I believe it or not, whether I understand it or not, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And for that reason, um, once that truth has made its mark in our lives, in our hearts, the response is worship. When we see this man for who he is and, and people who were with him at the time and had a clear revelation of his true identity, often the outcome was worship. And I would put it to you that that's one element of the Lord's thinking here, that um, he is Lord, and that's an irrefutable fact. But um, for his lordship to find expression in my life, or in the life of a disciple, that's very dependent on my behaviour and my beliefs and my thoughts. So let's consider the Lord's question to his audience. We're remembering it's targeted disciples in the broader sense, people who are following him. Um, and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And, and you know, you choose which of those um, titles is being referred to, whether it's his divine nature as the Lord of all, the creator of everything, or whether it's his personal lordship. Um, but the point is, you, you can't. He's saying to them, you, you, you call me Lord and you don't do what I say. And we, we need to understand what this expression Lord in, in the second sense means. If I um, make someone or acknowledge someone as Lord in my life, then I take my direction from him or her. And that means that I listen to what they are saying and because I recognise their authority as Lord, I do what they say. And Jesus was saying to those around him, you call me Lord, and you know that might be greatly respectful, but it, it's not valid when you don't do what I say. And um, of course, our ministry is full of personal lessons, so we have to come to our own personal appreciation of who Jesus is, and what he has said and what our response to that is and it's very um, clear that not everyone can legitimately claim Jesus as Lord because it's really only those um, who have made him Lord of their life. Uh, Peter was in this crowd and um, he was one maybe at the time an old vulnerable man uh, this is early in Jesus' ministry so still trying to work things out to some extent um, but in his old age um, he writes his letter and this statement which I want to take out and, and make stand alone he says in your hearts set apart 
Christ as Lord. And the point I wanted to, to get from this is that making Jesus Lord of our lives is a heart thing. And it's the point about um, not legalistically following instructions. That is so far from um, the Christian message. The Christian message is about love. It's about God's love for us and our understanding of his love, our appreciation of his love and our response to it. And our response to his love is um, to love him back. And when we talk about setting him apart as Lord in our hearts, that's about personal devotion and commitment. And it's not about um, looking at the letter of the law and box checking, which is what the Pharisees were very guilty of. Um, I wonder, you know, we were describing a situation where there was a bigger audience and there were Pharisees in the audience for sure. And interestingly, um, I forget where, where it's mentioned, I've read it a couple of times recently, that the Pharisees had their own disciples. And they were people who somehow seemed to stroke the Pharisees' ego. <laughs> These were people who were very legalistic. And, um, you know, tithing mint and stuff like this. Taking the legalistic side of the Levitical, the, the Old Testament instructions, to the far extreme and somehow thinking there was um, benefit in it. And the disciples would look at this and be amazed and in the, in the process their egos would be inflated. These people are listening to what the Lord Jesus is saying and he's saying you can't call a person Lord unless you do what they say. And um, of course they um, were very against him at this stage. They were planning or devising amongst themselves what they were going to do about it. So, um, challenge. Can we describe the Lord Jesus, and that, that expression flows off my tongue, um, can we describe him as the Lord of our lives? And um, his message to his disciples is, of course you can, but you have to do what I say. It reminds me of a, a verse, I think it's John 15, where it says, um, you are my friends if you do what I say. And you kind of, I've said it before, what, what kind of basis for a friendship is that? <laughs> you know, if I want to cultivate some friendships with people around me, and the terms are, you can be my friend if you do what I say, how does that work? Well, we have to recognise the Lordship, the man we're talking about. And he's our creator. And why does he give us instructions? Why does he give us commands? Because it's the means for us to experience the very best possible life. He has our best interests at heart. Why wouldn't we follow our maker's instructions, put it that way? And um, I just kind of leave that with us as a, as a challenge. In my Christian life, uh, where am I up to with respect to making Jesus Christ Lord? Um, let's move on to number four. To obey, disciples need to listen to his word. This means being immersed in God's word, something Jesus describes 
as the foundation of a disciple's life. Verse 46, as we've read. This is verse 46 of Luke 6. Um, and he's, uh, he's saying, I'll show you um, what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. So I will illustrate for you, this is what Jesus is saying, what lordship, um, what the relationship looks like with me and someone who calls me Lord. And I'd just like to draw out three um, little statements in that sentence. I'll show you what he's like. He comes to me, he hears my word, my words, and he puts them into practice. That's, a, I think, a really beautiful invitation. Um, the Lord Jesus says, if you, if you want to make me Lord, then come to me. And he has, uh, that invitation is a, a repetitious thing. It's something that we read about on several occasions in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And it, it's interesting because the initiative lies with the would-be disciple. Um, he's making himself accessible. That's what the whole gospel message is about. Um, the eternal creator of the universe becoming like one of his creatures, making himself accessible to us. And then he says, come to me. And again, it's, uh, it's interesting that um, in our understanding of the Christian message where each of us are up to, um, maybe we can reflect back on when we first responded to that invitation that the Lord Jesus wants us to come to him. Come to him as our saviour so that we can um, accept him as our saviour. That's his reason for coming to earth as we were remembering in our worship service this morning. The whole focus of our service is remembering how that the Lord Jesus came to be the sacrifice for our sin and we need to respond to hard thing. We need to respond with our hearts to his invitation to come to him. But Remember, the Lord is talking to disciples, so it's people who've moved on from that point. Um, and he, the invitation is still there. So his request, his instruction, his encouragement is, come to me. So I will show you what he is like who comes to me. Initiative is with us. And hears my words. So wh where do we hear uh, God's words. Where do we hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? And of course, we've been listening to them already. If you have a red letter Bible, um, then you'll see every red letter word there are words that the Lord Jesus spoke himself. But it's not limited to that. Um, the, the words of God are the whole of, of Scripture. And it's really important that we understand that that we're not to be selective and say, well, we'll take the bits that um, we feel are palatable or understandable. Um, it's a kind of all, all or nothing equation. We have the whole complete word of God accessible to us and we need to hear it. Well, how do we hear it? So we come to church and uh, listen to someone like me opening God's word and reading it. Very, very valid, we should do that. Um, but also there is no substitute 
for us to access God's word in our own private lives by reading um, reading the Bible ourselves. And the third point is this man who has the right to call Jesus Lord of his life puts his words into practice. Just a, a three-pronged uh, message here that the Lord Jesus is giving. Come to him, listen to his words, and then go away and put them into practice. So the challenge is how immersed uh, am I in God's word? How familiar am I with the commands of the Lord Jesus? And what, what's my approach to this? And we had on the screen, still there, it would be if it was working. Um, this is not a legalistic thing. Um, it's not about, um, not necessarily about reading our Bible in a kind of mechanical way. Read something every day and um, we miss the point if that's what we're talking about. It's about coming to God's word, recognising it as the voice of Jesus, the commands of Jesus himself. And um, with that attitude, it changes, with that perspective, it changes the whole, at least in my experience, it changes the whole business about reading God's word. Not a laborious, tedious thing that we feel guilty if we don't do, but an exciting thing, recognising that these are the vibrant words um, of, of God himself. I'm not going to read it. I've, um, it's been a recent... Um, study of mine but I would encourage us to go to Psalm 19 um, there's a whole sermon in Psalm 19 many in fact it's just a short psalm but it talks about um, the creation of the universe being God's language to us speaking to us and then it talks um, in very poetic terms about his word also uh, being the means that's, that's the Bible being a means of him communicating to us and enabling us to understand his instructions for us and an encouragement to us. Let's go on to number five. We're still thinking about foundations. We will come to fruit, I, I promise. But the Lord Jesus was saying that um, immersing ourselves in his word was the basis for building um, a house on good foundations. And this is how... The life of someone who we call him Lord would be characterised. Good foundations, number five, if you could see it. Good foundations go deep, so much digging is required. Disciples who have Christ uh, as their foundation uh, will weather the storm, and that's a promise. The Lord Jesus was um, illustrating a point <coughs> about building a house on foundations on good foundations such that when the storm comes along then um, the the house will stand I often get a dig in the ribs from Ange when I'm saying something and she says you've fallen down a hole stop digging <laughs> um, and I think I know what she means you know sometimes when you're kind of in a bit of a pickle you 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 make make it worse trying to dig yourself out I would just like to turn it upside down and, and say that if you're in a hole, keep digging. Um, one of the things that's clear from this illustration is that even the very best disciples of the Lord Jesus are not exempt from the storm and the torrent. 
that's um, kind of an unusual word. Um, it's about a flood. We've seen tsunamis recently and the devastation that they cause. And, um, you know, we can, Christians are not exempt from that. Those things happen uh, both physically and in our family lives, in our, in our emotional lives, in our relationships. Storms, torrents happen and uh, they can be very destructive. Um, and the Lord promised his disciples, it's kind of a strange thing to promise, but he says in the world you will have trouble, so we're not exempt from that. Um, but what I would encourage us to do is when those things happen, keep digging. Because as we dig and get the soft stuff out of the way, we'll come to a rock. Um, and that's, that's the way the wise man built his house. He kept digging until he couldn't dig anymore because he'd hit the rock. Um, as a, a nod to a verse in Matthew 16, uh, verse 15. And uh, again, we're, we're interacting with the Lord and his disciples, but this time it's Peter um, responding on behalf of the disciples uh, to the question, who do you say that I am? But what about you? He asked, that's Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter asked, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Very misunderstood verse. But the rock the Lord Jesus was talking to was Peter's statement about the true identity of the Lord. The Lord Jesus himself, the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the rock. And he is the thing, the foundation on which we build. Uh, time's going by. Um, we can probably take six very quickly. It's a, it's a thought that's precious to me. Storms are scary. To stay confident, disciples need to be reminded of Christ the rock on which our lives, their lives are built. <coughs> if you have a, a lot of confidence in your house because you've dug deep and you've stopped at the rock and you've built on that immovable thing and the storm comes along there's an instinct which is completely the wrong thing to do the instinct is to leave you know, and we see that on the news tragically and actually in the context of a tsunami physical thing of course the people had to leave and get to a safe place but if we're built on the solid rock that is the foundation that's Jesus Christ. There's no better place to be than to stay where we are. And I'm thinking about um, those of us who find ourselves subject to a storm, uh, torrential floods, and they just seem to be coming in on us. Don't leave what you know is rock, st rock steady. <laughs> you know, leave, leave what you believe in. Leave your foundation and there's, you just fall apart. You know, we, we can celebrate our eternal security. So whatever the world um, throws at us, um, it's never going to undermine the fact that um, the Lord Jesus is our saviour and we have a secure place in heaven. But the world can throw things at us that if we don't come back to the rock on which um, our lives are built, then we can be washed away and our lives can be spoiled. 
just a, I think, an important lesson for us to draw uh, from the illustration that the Lord, the Lord Jesus is giving. Let's go to number seven. Jesus' lesson about foundations uh, apply to individual disciples as well as those in a church context. I felt very drawn to make this point because it's not an obvious point. And, you know, we can reflect, in the Church of God in Manchester, we can reflect on individual circumstances, some of which we know, some of which we don't. And hopefully we can take encouragement from um, what we've heard so far about uh, remembering the foundation on which our lives are built. It's the, the rock that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we do have time to go to it. Let's go to um, First Peter again. And we'll read um, a couple of, a few verses from chapter 2. In Matthew 16, which we've read, the Lord Jesus was talking about something called his church. That's also known as the church, the body. And that's something he's building and it's indestructible. And that's something that disciples of the Lord Jesus, when they accept him as their saviour, they're built into. And um, he says it's indestructible. He says, he says that to his disciples. But we know that churches in terms of groups of people are not indestructible because they come and go. And they're very dependent on the people in them. And I think there is, and the commitment of the people in them, and that's us, not just as individuals, it starts as individuals, but it's us as a community. And I want to to still link with this concept of the Lord Jesus being the rock. So let's go to First um, Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And Peter is addressing uh, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, completely different community now, though, of course. Um, and these are disciples who are not in the broader sense of the word. They're disciples who claim him as Lord. They've made him Lord in their lives and they're committed to following his instructions. As you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you, out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God 
on the day he visits us. You have a, an amazing picture. We're still thinking of the Lord Jesus as a rock, but this time we also, those who are owning him as Lord, are described as an amazing thing, living stones, and were built together to form a structure that's a spiritual church. And um, I just wanted to bring us to this verse in First Peter because it has that wonderful link with the Lord Jesus as the rock. But it also lifts our illustration from the individuals that we are to the community that we are. And I was saying that we can think of how individuals amongst us are struggling for one reason or another. As a community, that can have an effect and we can be struggling too. But let's take the lesson from Luke 6 and go back to the foundation. The thing that is the basis of our church, the Church of God in Manchester, it's living stones that have been amazingly called together and fitted together by God. And it's on the basis of our lordship of him, of our obedience to his word as a people, that, that we can carry on doing what we're doing. I take great encouragement from that when things perhaps are difficult in the church. Um, you know, it starts with the individual, as we've said, but it also um, is important that we're recognising each other and the roles that we, we play in encouraging each other and in service together uh, for God. We have just one more point which deals with um, uh, the fruit. You might think that um, not enough time on the fruit section, but uh, obviously there's time for us to reflect on it ourselves too. Fruit in the life of a disciple refers to behaviour. We also read that as the fruit of the Spirit. We get that from Galatians chapter 5, famous um, description of the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit in the life of a disciple refers to behaviour and productivity. That's accomplishments, things achieved. Behaviour is obvious. Um, produce is something only fully known by God himself, though one day all will be revealed. My sense, my look at this passage, that uh, this sermon that Jesus was delivering, remember it's to his disciples, I don't think he's talking about fruit that's gone off. <laughs> I don't think he's talking about fruit that's um, kind of poor specimens of that fruit. I think he's talking about fruit that, that shows up in the wrong place. He's talking about bad trees. Um, a bad tree is a thorn bush and a briar. And the bad, the weeds, they get in the way. Um, they're fundamentally harmful. You know, they, they destroy other plants and they jaggers and stuff like that. And he's saying, you don't, you don't go to a thorn bush or a briar for a fig or, um, um, or a grape. Is that the other one? Um, so the point here is we're coming back to disciples of the Lord Jesus or would-be disciples of the Lord Jesus, what is the kind of fruit that is evident in their lives? And if there is no evidence of God's grace in their lives, if actually there's nothing distinctive about them, they're just like everyone else who doesn't know God, then there's something wrong in that, in that person's experience of God. Um, One of the things that seemed 
uh, evident to me in this passage, if I can get back to it, is the fruit is actually um, talking about things that are said. In verse 45, for out of the overflow of the heart, of his heart, his mouth speaks. So I think a fundamental part of what the Lord Jesus is describing is what we say. The language we use, the things that we talk about. And the reason why I put the foundation first and the fruit, fruit second is if we get the foundation right and we're rock solid on um, our faith and our commitment, then that will have an influence on our behaviour for sure. And we haven't got time to go into Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, but our lives should be characterised by... Um, those divine characteristics that are so wonderfully displayed in the person of the Lord Jesus. And our lives should be productive. Um, productive in the sense that we're glorifying God in some way. Uh, as a closing verse, um, I just turn us to Hebrews chapter 13. And linking it to um, what comes out of our mouth. What comes out of our mouth is our conversation. And bad fruit is, is where the conversation is not what you would expect. Good fruit is where what comes out of our mouth is exactly what you'd expect from someone who claims the lordship of Christ in their lives. Hebrews 13 verse 7, it says, remember your leaders. Um, it's like a, a past era of leaders in, in, these in these days when the Lord Jesus was speaking. Perhaps he would be referring to some of the Old Testament prophets or key men that, that maybe people even knew in their, in their own lifetime. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And the expression, the outcome of their way of life is their conversation, literally. So the thought I'd like to leave us with as those who would be disciples of the Lord Jesus, who have come to him, have accepted him as, as our saviour, who have come to him and are immersed in his word and his instructions, wanting to be able to legitimately call him Lord. Our lives have a conversation, and that's fruit. The, the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that occupy our interest, um, they are the stuff of what people see. I mentioned that the foundations are unseen, the fruit is seen. And in this passage in, um, in Hebrews 13, the writer is encouraging those who are reading to reflect on the conversation of people's lives who have been here, who've been what we've been talking about today, the own Jesus Christ as Lord, and learn from their experience and imitate their faith. And the punchline is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. You know, we're all humans, we all fail. Um, and while we can learn for sure from the conversation of each other's lives in a positive, in a positive way, um, we, all, we must get back always to that rock that we've been talking about, which is the immovable rock that we've been uh, remembering Jesus Christ himself, who is the same yesterday, today 
and forever. Shall we pray?